Welcome back to the True North Podcast. My name is James McKenzie, and I've got Trey Dixon with me. Trey, what's up, man? Man, doing well. How are you, James? Doing good. Really excited to hear from our guest today. Trey, would you like to introduce them? Absolutely. So today we've got with us Brad Cromwell. And Brad, we met, we were introduced, and I had three or four different people kind of just in the ministry world that said, man, you got to meet this guy. He's just, he's a solid guy, loves Jesus, but that you were a chaplain with Hobby Lobby. And to be honest with you, my first thought was, why is he a chaplain at a store? <laughs> you know, and that was kind of my that was kind of my thought. And so we've met a couple of times. I mean, we've met several times actually over the years and had several conversations. And so, man, I'm excited to have you in today and just share a little bit about who you are, your story, what you do, and what is a what does a chaplain at Hobby Lobby even do? So, man, thank you for being here. Welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, yes, I'm with Hobby Lobby. I work at the corporate office. I've been with Hobby Lobby 20, almost 21 years. Oh, wow. I started out as a manager in the warehouse, actually. There was one chaplain at the time, and she kind of learned my heart, and, and I started helping her out where I could. If there were situations with um, maybe a, a guy at the hospital that was be hard for her to go see, she would call me and ask me to go kind of step in and help out where I could. Eventually, she asked me if I wanted to come on staff, and so uh, I ended up being a chaplain just by the grace of God. Wow. Uh, at Hobby Lobby. Um, it's been a great ride. I, I love what I do. Uh, now there are six of us uh, chaplains at the corporate office. Wow. We work both with the roughly 7,000 people at corporate as well as the stores. 7,000 people. Holy Great cow. Grief. Yeah. It's, it's a few, there's a few people out there. Yeah. Um, you know, we have almost a thousand stores nationwide and everything comes through Oklahoma City. So we work uh, mostly with the local, um, corporate people, but then as well with, uh, the store employees as well as there's a need. Okay, so when you say we work with the people locally, you know, being a chaplain, what does that actually mean? Like, what does that look like on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, I explain to people that it's a very similar role to that of a pastor without the preaching. Okay. We do a lot yeah. of uh, working with individuals with, with maybe something going on in their life individually, a workplace situation, uh, marital situations, problem with kids, problem with finances, we do a lot of uh, walking with them in those situations, trying to find, help them find resources locally or beyond, but more than resources, trying to get to the core of what's really going on because um, we don't want to put a Band-Aid on a bullet wound, if you will, Yeah. but to be intentional about trying to find out what's really going on, what's the cause of, of some of the strife they're going through, and let's deal with that at more of a root basis, which oftentimes leads back to sharing of the gospel because that's the the core of a lot of our issues. Mm -hmm. So how does that work? I mean, somebody's at work Mm -hmm. and they're struggling with something at home. How do you, how do you know? Do they reach out to you? Are you doing marriage classes? Like how does that even work in a, in a work setting? Right. Great question. A couple different ways. One, uh, the managers generally see um, the employees more. And so, if they recognize the situation, then they'll offer our resources to them. They can get to come over and visit the chaplains on the clock. Um, it's a non-churchy environment. We, we, we don't care what they believe. We're not there to preach to them, per se, but to kind of minister or help them with what they're going through. Um, we also spend a lot of time out in our warehouses and in different environments so that we're more um, approachable, that they recognize us and see us less as a... Um, Oh, an authority figure, but more as uh, someone that can help out. Familiarity helps a lot with that. And then we also do classes. I actually had a class this morning. We do classes a few different times a year where employees get to come over and take a class. 
um, on the clock as well. And some wow. we have a class right now. We've got classes going on right now where we're dealing with. Oh, it, there's a series called Aha that was a, a video series put out by a group in uh, Louisville, Kentucky called City on a Hill, dealing with um, Aha stands for Awakening Honesty Action, and it, it's a kind of a parallel of the Prodigal Son story, and we look at kind of how life can get a little crazy sometimes, and what do we do when we have that awakening moment, and then when we come, kind of come to honesty about, I need to do something different, and then the action, how do we... Um, alter courses, if you will. We're doing a class on um, a leadership class in Spanish. We have a Spanish pastor that's coming in and leading that for our Spanish-speaking employees. We're doing a women's class that is, I don't recall the name, but specifically geared towards women. Um, We're doing a class on the Bible. The Greens are obviously big proponents of the Bible. They helped with the Bible Museum, and we're doing a class on the truth of, of what the Bible is, some getting rid of some of the false narratives maybe of what Scripture may be or what it isn't, and talking about what it really is and, and the life-changing power of that. And then we're also doing a class on um, peace of mind. We're using some Life Church material, talking about in these crazy times right now, how do we yeah. find peace of mind? Yeah. Man, what I love about that, too, is like you said, you know, we're not trying to preach to them. But God's word has so many truths in it. I mean, there's just so many things in scripture that even if you're not, you know, a sold out believer of Jesus, so many, well, not even so many, all of the biblical truths, all of the biblical commands are always for our good. Right. We find peace. We find rest. We find, you know, better marriages, better parenting. Right. Um, And so being able to take those biblical concepts in even kind of using them, you know, obviously they know you're a chaplain, so they know where you stand, but helping someone in their practical day-to-day life and biblical truth is often the things that drives people to a saving faith and knowledge. Right, right. And so often when, when we get to talk to people, we may be presenting biblical principles, but they don't realize that. And we're not trying yeah. to manipulate that, but we're right. just sharing truth to them. Um, you're and, not beating them over the head with the Bible. You're helping exactly. give them solutions. Exactly. And so, for instance, with a child, someone comes in the, and, and struggling with, with a child that's gone a bit um, wayward. Mm-hmm. And so talk to them about, one, let's help find resources for kiddo and, and how can we get them into a place that might be able to receive the help. But then also looking at how do we get into this spot? You know, yeah. what, what as mom or dad, what can we do differently to pour into kiddo so that they realize that there's help available and that they want that versus just telling them how bad they are or whatever that may look like. Yeah. I love that. What you even started off with that it's like pastoring just without the preaching. I mean, that's exactly, it sounds like what you're doing. Now, how does that work in a, I mean, obviously Hobby Lobby is pretty unashamed of their faith. I mean, the Green family that owns Hobby Lobby and started it has um, started the Bible Museum in, you know, Washington, D.C. They were pretty staunch, um, you know, they've taken some some moral and political stands on things. So, I mean, they are, they're pretty outspoken about their faith. So they don't have any problems, I'm assuming, with having chaplains. I mean, there's six of you. Right. So where is that line of, you know, we're not there to necessarily evangelize. We're not forcing our faith on anyone, but we're sharing these things. How do you get to share your faith? What is What does that look like? Because that's got to be a tightrope sometimes. Um, it can be. 
one, it's never, no employee has to come see the chaplain. So it's always elective. So there's some freedom in that, that we're not forcing anything because they're coming over willingly. Yeah. Um, they're coming over. And, and honestly, most of the people that we get to work with probably aren't believers. And, and if you think about it, and that surprised me when I first got there, yep. but if you think about it, uh, the believer, generally speaking, has a place to turn when life gets crazy. They have a church family. They have other people that can pour into them. So many of the people that, that I get the opportunity to pour into don't have that. They mm. have nobody. Wow. And so they come over a lot of times it, really hurting in, in a desperate situation. And so when we are able to show them compassion and care and, and deal with them in a way that is loving and not condemning mm -hmm. that oftentimes leads to other conversations about maybe where does this come from? Why do we do this? Um, where, where is real hope found in the midst of uh, very difficult times? Man. Well, I mean, just the first thing that hits me is a company that pays to have chaplains pays to have counseling come in, pays for their employees to go to classes to better themselves and, you know, spiritual development, marital development, whatever that may be. Um, I know I came and spoke there with your group one time when you were taking a group of men through authentic manhood. Right. Um, and just kind of a discipleship to, like said, spiritual development. <clears throat> and that, so many companies, it's all about the, you know, the bottom, the bottom dollar and the bottom line. And yet... <clears throat> Here's Hobby Lobby and the Green family truly pouring in mm -hmm. to their to their employees, and so can you share a little bit about that? Just what you see um, from Hobby Lobby from the Green family, and just some of the different ministry things that they're doing that people may not be aware of. Oh yes, one of the things that we do as chaplain staff, we have a food program where we have some contract. We have a contract with a local food distributor where employees can buy food. At a discounted rate, the Greens actually pay for $15 a box for the first couple of boxes the employees buy every month. Wow. And so this this month in March, I think we'll have 2,700 boxes of food that employees have purchased that we'll distribute to everybody uh, the last Thursday of the month. So it's always a, a busy, fun time when we have, um, we'll have probably 1,500 cars pass through our uh, process on that Thursday in about four hours. Wow. So it is it is a a great opportunity to both pour into our employees, but then the employees also get to help with the distribution. We have different departments that come through each month and help volunteer to do that, to be a part of that process as well. And that that's such a huge benefit for our employees to see um, the Greens paying for, for food for them. For yeah. the month. Not only are they getting paid, you know, a fair wage, a pretty good wage, but they're also getting food at a discounted rate um, every month. Um, and so it, it's a great program. Then we have the classes on site. We do finance classes. And then we, um, again, have opportunities for the employees to come over and vent and process individually in our office and with, with different chaplains that kind of have different specialties and, and find ways to, again, meet them in the need that, where they are and try to help them not, not stay there but move forward somehow. Yeah. Do you have conversations with people that are just – kind of maybe come in challenging and trying to f figure out this faith thing or and maybe doubting and they're just trying hoping you might have an answer or, for sure yeah for sure we have a lot of opportunities to have those faith dialogues and and sometimes a lot of the people that I get the opportunity to talk to and that all, all of our staff gets the opportunity to talk to are people that have been hurt by 
either the church or someone that represented the church. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was an uncle that was very, you know, super religious and, and very condemning of whatever it may be. Or they were a part of a church, and you know, when they got a tattoo, they were asked not to come back. Or mm-hmm. any number of things where there's this church hurt that people then ascribe to all Christians. Right. Because if this person that represented Christianity to them behaved this way, then all Christians are such. And so yeah. we have a lot of opportunities to kind of, Oh, have dialogue that that's not necessarily the case and and trying to show them another way. I use the example a lot with restaurants. You know, if you go to Taco Bell and get a bad burrito, you don't swear off all restaurants. Yeah. (laughs) But but oftentimes I've had a bad experience at church, so I'm done with church. Yeah. And so when we kind of use examples like that, people realize, okay, well, maybe I have been a bit harsh. But, you know, the truth is there are some pretty toxic churches and, and there are some great churches there's some toxic churches and so helping people find a good place if that's what they're looking for um but really trying to have those low level conversations initially and let's deal with the immediate hurt um and then we can generally once they kind of see that we're not there to sell them a bill of goods Mm -hmm. that you know maybe we generally do care and we want more for them yeah you know you don't have to share any names but do you have any cool stories yeah of getting to meet people in that place and maybe seeing them grow into something else. Yeah. Oh yes. We, we've had lots of those situations. And, and again, so often it comes from a place of um, brokenness mm-hmm. and they don't really know where else to turn. Um, had a young lady I spent some time with and she was, um, she was in a lesbian relationship and, and she came in and she expected a lot of condemnation from me. And she walked in and she said, uh, well, I'm a lesbian. I'm like, okay. And she said, aren't you going to tell me that's wrong? I'm like, no more wrong than the things that I guess. I give you a list of sins that I struggle with. Yeah. Yep. And so I'm not here to call you any worse than what I am. Yeah, yep. I said, what's going on? And so she, she kind of let her guard down a little bit, and we began to talk. And she was just in a really toxic relationship, mm-hmm. not unlike many people that are in a toxic relationship with a you know, right. heterosexual relationship. Yeah, right. And so through the conversation, she had grown up in the church, and, and so she was open to faith still called herself a Christian, but really hadn't done anything with that in a while. And so through a couple of different times we got together, I asked her one time, I said, have you ever prayed about this relationship? You know, maybe what, what's God have in store for you with this relationship? Not telling her it was bad, not telling her she was doing anything wrong, but allowing the Holy Spirit to be the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, through that conversation, the Holy, and I shouldn't say through that, after that, the Holy Spirit really began to work on her. I don't want to take more credit for it than I deserve. No, um, I, you shared it. But but the Holy Spirit began to work on her, and she is now married um, to uh, wow. a guy at work, Hobby Lobby. They have, she just had her third kiddo, and she's a totally different person. I saw her, I said, wow. you look so different. And she smiled at me, she said, I am so different. Mm. Um, and so, what a privilege to have played a small role in that where she came in expecting condemnation and that's not what she found. And so I I was so grateful that that God kind of walked with us in that situation to open her eyes to something that she hadn't considered at least recently anyway. So man, can we, if you don't mind, because this is probably the hot topic of our day right now. Um, I mean, it really is Mm -hmm. this LGBTQ movement and I don't know that the church as, as a whole knows how to even really deal with this. Mm-hmm. And so it's quite often, because like you said, someone feeling, you know, are they going to be judged? Are they going to be condemned? Are they going to be so, but yet Jesus said we're to be in the world, just not of the world. You right. know, we're to live in it. We're, you know, most of us out here are working secular jobs. We have friends, we have family, we have coworkers that are going to be walking through this. 
And so how would you encourage somebody just listening to this podcast that has a coworker at work um, who's gay or lesbian or whatever it may be, or a family member even? Um, I will know in my men's group and actually our home church, we spent an hour and a half talking about this exact topic just last night. And so this is a big topic that I think so many of us know that we need to be prepared for, and yet we don't know where to go to get prepared for it. So I'm not asking for a total answer, but how would you share that with someone who just says, I, how do I even have that conversation? How do I love on someone that way? Well, I, I think we need to not identify one group as the target group because yeah. um, in men's ministry, I, I talk to guys all the time, and, and I will, in most conversations, um, breach the topic of pornography because, one, I know it's a temptation for all of us. Yep. And so to have that dialogue with anything outside of you know, sex between a husband and wife, anything beyond that is, is sinful. And so I don't necessarily lead with, hey, you know, you're sinning, hell's going to be rough, um, but as much as saying, all right, we're all broken. And so mm. the, the gentleman that's struggling with porn, um, the, the guy that's living with his girlfriend to the homosexual, it, it's, it's really no different. And so we shouldn't show love to one and not another. Um, and then when we recognize our own brokenness and the place of sin that we struggle with, hopefully that gives us some humility to be more relatable versus more self-righteous, which I think that is, has been one of the flaws the church has had in dealing with this. Yeah. Is this, you know, we don't want to talk about pornography in the church. But we'll talk a lot about homosexuality. And I think that's wrong. It's, it's, you know, one's not worse than the other. Yeah. Um, I agree. But one is more socially accepted than the other, or at least one's more private than the other. Mm-hmm. Um, now at the same time, we never want to be one that, that condones that. And, and, and countless conversations I've had with, um, people, homosexual or a lesbian, there's never any condoning of that, but there's also no more condemning them over that person than, than, than the couple that's living together. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, I'm not critical of them. Other than we start talking about, you know, what's God have in store for you? Mm-hmm. Um, and it may not even be that at, at first. Maybe you're just having dialogue about what's going on in their life. You know, we're fighting all the time. Well, let's talk about that. What's going on? And getting into some of the more root issue, and then oftentimes the Holy Spirit is the one doing the heavy lifting in this. We just kind of kind of walk with them in that, and when they see that we're not there to condemn them or throw rocks at them, then there's some openness to to hearing that. Mm. Tim Keller has a really good take on this, and it's what you even just kind of alluded to. He essentially says, you know, talking about the LGBTQ, but yet it applies to any and all sin, is what is God's best? And so often we look at the rules or we look at sin as what we can't do, right? Instead of realizing all of God's purposes are for our good, for our protection, to enrich us, to bring us joy, um, to bring us peace and safety. And so it's not about what you're doing is sin. It may be, right? But it's, it's not what God has best for you. Right. And I think if we can begin to kind of reshape our vision and reshape it, you know, in our language, our wording, our conversations to where it's less condemning. Right. And it actually shouldn't be because we're looking down on you, but it's that our hearts are breaking for you. Right. And that what is God's best? What is his intention for your life? To, for you to have the peace, for you to have the, the relationship, the marriage, whatever it may be, the joy that is found only through Christ, 
and that there's actually something that you're missing out on. And that, like I said, not condemning, but from hearts being broken. Right. And, and so often when we get into some deeper dialogue with people that are struggling with any sort of sexual sin, many times it comes from a past sexual trauma. Absolutely. And so that brokenness then leads to more um, pain. And so it's hard to know how to walk away from that because I've crossed this line and now I'll never be quote unquote made whole again. Um, and so we just, and I think the enemy's really good at beating us up over our past sins. You know, he draws us into sin and it's only this, it's just that. And then once we cross that line, he flips the script like, oh, you're such a terrible person. How could you call yourself a Christian and whatever it may be? And then we tend to binge into more of that. Mm. And so recognizing the, the schemes the enemy uses against us helps us then battle that better. And at the same time with sex, and, and I talked to a lot of people about this, that, you know, sex was made to be awesome by God purposefully. Yeah. You know, every single person, I've never met anyone that doesn't know the answer to this. Everybody remembers the first person they had sex with because mm. it's a powerful, emotional, spiritual moment. Um, and so... People may have had hundreds of partners. They may not remember all of them, but everybody remembers the first time because there's there's connection there. And so when we have dialogue with people about really the purposes of sex and, and not just in procreation, but in, in uniting people, it's good to remember that. And and again, now we can't go backwards to time if we've if we've crossed that line. Okay, great. There's forgiveness. Let's start whole again. Let's start meaningfully pursuing a a the right way of doing relationships the right way of, of what the right view of what sex is mm, that's good brad how how have you gotten to this point where you're now discipling others what what was your journey like to get to this point where you have so much to pour out to others well i grew up i grew up here in oklahoma i grew up in a great family grew up in church um but I'm sure I was presented the gospel at some point, but it wasn't until I was about 15 or 14 that I actually heard the gospel. Um, I went to church camp growing up as a kid for one, for one reason, and that was for the girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can remember one night, I vividly, the, the speaker, he asked a question. He said, are you a Christian? And I thought, what an ignorant question here at church camp. You know, obviously we're all Christians. And he said, well, how do you know? And I'm, so I'm making a list of reasons that I know I'm a Christian. And for the first time ever, he said, I heard someone say that it's not just what you do. Have you surrendered your life to Christ? And I thought, I don't know that I have. And that was the moment for me that life changed. Now, was it always great after that? No, like anyone, you know, there was ups and downs of, of good choices, bad choices. But there was this new revelation of, of, of right and wrong now that I had to wrestle with more than I did before that moment. Um, when I was 17, um, the guys I used to run with were, were getting a little wilder, and, and God sent me just an amazing lady into my, into my life that was never intended to be anything more than a short-term girlfriend, which is what all mine had be- before that. And it was a remarkable uh, change of events for me. So we met almost 35 years ago, my wife now. Mm-hmm. And um, so in this journey then, I, I've, I've watched how God has has put people into my life to keep me away from some really bad choices. I'd like to believe that I wouldn't have done what some of my friends were doing in high school, but I'm grateful that God didn't allow me to have to go through that. He sent someone into my life that, that kept me from some really bad choices. 
Um, then we started a family, had a couple kiddos, couldn't have any more. And then we started fostering, which was a whole nother thing that I never anticipated being a part of my life. Um, I joke with people a lot. And the reality is I don't really like kids that much. <laughs> I mean, I love yeah, mine, yeah. but I didn't want any more. We had two, couldn't have any more. And when we had two, my wife said, you, you know, what if I have a third kid? Now, this sounds tacky probably, but I like making kids. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. um, then we found out we couldn't have any more. And so um, went, went, um, my wife said, what about fostering? And I said, well, I'll pray about it. Um, and, and though I knew the answer would still be new, no, I went ahead and prayed about it. And God completely changed my heart. Um, but God was gracious. He didn't say, you're going to have nine kids. He said, you could do one more. And I thought, <laughs> yeah, I could do one more. <laughs> And, Jedi and, mind trick. Right. And so I was like, I could do one more. And so God led us on this path of, of being somewhere that I never anticipated in a much harder but more fulfilling life um, of, of fostering and then adopting and then ministering and, and, and being ministered to by other foster families has, has grown me so much in my reliance on him because when I thought I was an expert with kids when I had one kid, and then when I had two kids, and then it gets, I realized how little I knew back then, mm-hmm. uh, but how gracious God has been in this journey. So, okay, I need to clarify because you said something a second ago, nine kids, and was that hyperbole or was that actually nine kids? <laughs> well, I, I have I have two bio kiddos, my yep. oldest two, and then we have six adopted kiddos, and then I have wow. what we call our bonus daughter. Um, she was a, a missionary friend of my daughter's who. Um, she calls us mom and dad. Her, her parents live in uh, Malaysia. Um, and so she vacations with us and holidays with us. So she's, she's number nine. She's our bonus daughter. But uh, wow. officially, uh, I have eight kiddos that have, uh, I guess, been on the tax return at some point. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So have you had a TV show on TLC yet? Uh, no. Okay, so that sounds like that's like the only thing that's missing so far. Well, right? I've seen how all those TV shows end up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think we'll pass on that. That's right, we'll pass on that. Not to mention we'd probably be a pretty boring family. But, uh, <laughs> so, man, eight, nine kids, that's nine kiddos. That is... That in and of itself, I think, is an entire podcast of how do you how do you uh, raise nine kids? So that's pretty fantastic. Well, man, as we kind of wrap this up, Brad, thank you so much for being here. Share with us, if you would, what is God doing in your life? Like in the last, you know, six months or year, however long, what has been something that God's really been working in you? Like what is he showing Brad that has just been, you know, deeply personal to you? Yeah, I think... I've over this last six months, probably I've been faced with a lot of um, pain in in both our family. We've gone through some tough things and then in in working with employees. And and I think I've gotten complacent. I had gotten complacent in being able to do some things fairly well because God has given me some gifts of communication and, and some empathy to work with people. But my prayer life had had suffered mm. immensely, unintentionally, and, and I, I got to a point oh last fall where I just felt spent, mm. um, and, and realized how little emphasis I'd put on personal prayer time, as well as having people that I can be genuine with. Having the role of quote unquote chaplain makes it where it's hard to. Um, have those kind of relationships with people. Once they find out I'm a chaplain, there's this expectation that I'm something that I'm not. Yeah. And so it's it, and part of that's probably on me that that makes it a little harder to feel like I can be transparent. And so having some guys now that I can meet with, 
on a regular basis that that we can kind of sharpen one another. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a special needs kiddo, um, too, but one in particular that makes it really difficult for me to be gone on a weekend. We've talked several times about coming to True North Base Camp, and I would love to, um, but it's difficult because uh, my special needs kiddo is, is 15 right now. He's mostly nonverbal, and um, he requires a lot more of me than and I love it. it I'm so privileged to be his dad but it makes it tough yeah. and so there's times when when you are on I'll say on call but have to be on all the time um it's tough yeah and and so I found myself unintentionally kind of wearing myself out and not finding a place to recharge um I've got to church I have two church homes actually and, and love that grateful for for the ministry that that I'm a part of and that I received there but it was that personal time with the Lord that I had unintentionally kind of pushed aside that I've had to kind of reprioritize and that has helped me in in at home at work at church wherever I am to make that more of a priority to spend time individually with the Lord mm-hmm. so I can almost so guarantee good. There's probably 90% of the people listening to this right now that have experienced or are experiencing exactly what you just talked about. Yep. So what what are the key things that worked for you that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for everybody, but for you that um, you could share to maybe help someone in that situation? Yeah, I, I talk to guys a lot, and, and we talk about, as guys, how we tend to be, most of our relationships tend to be very surface. Mm-hmm. We, we talk sports. We talk weather. We talk work. Um, we don't talk a lot more beyond that. Um, I use the example, I had a best friend in high school and he and I did everything together. And then, you know, we went our different ways after high school and then we reconnected several years ago after a funeral and went and had lunch and and spent two and a half hours. And I got home that night and I was telling my wife that I'd run into, to Pat and she said, well, you know, is he married? I said, I, I think so. She said, (laughs) does he have any kids? I'm like, "Mm, at least one boy. And she goes, what did you guys talk about? I'm like, not that. Yeah. You know, conversely, we're at a church event, at a church we'd been attending, and my wife's chatting with some lady, and we get in the car, I say, who is that? She said, well, that's Amy. She's just, it's hard right now. Her husband's deployed, and with the three kids, it's really difficult. Um, I said, how do you know her? She goes, well, I just met her tonight. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I don't know that much about my best friend, which is, it's an indictment on me more than my wife. But as guys, we tend to exist in very surface, shallow, guarded areas. And I give guys that advice a lot, and I realize I need to take that advice too because we can unintentionally work ourselves into a very isolated spot. And I think from COVID we see just what a powerful weapon isolation is that the enemy uses against us. When we get isolated, we tend to believe and think really foolish things. And so we need to find a person or two or a group that we can be genuine with. So that when life starts to get a little crazy, we have someone that we can one turn to. But at the same time, I've told this group of guys that I'm close to, I said, if you see me start to act foolish, please confront me. Now, knowing I probably won't respond well initially, but I want them to know they can confront me. I want them to at my core. In the moment, I may not, but we need that. Um, because it's so easy to just get a little bit off, and then we find ourselves doing foolish things that can really have just huge implications on our in- personal lives, our families, our workplaces, our health. Yeah. And so um, just finding that person or group of people that we can be genuine with and share the struggles we have and then celebrate the victories we have. Yeah. 
you're you're preaching the true north message um to the nth degree and and i love what you said like as a chaplain you know all of a sudden people think that see you in maybe a little different way and i love how um pastor craig rochelle said he said it numerous times that i was a man long before i was a pastor and i'll be a man long after being a pastor um and i think that that is just so true that no matter who we are what our job what our title we're a man first and foremost and being a part of a group of men, having that brotherhood, having those men to, you know, sharpen as scripture yes. talks about sharpen one another, um, to be a court of three, to be just to have, to have friends, true, authentic friends, to be open, honest, and transparent with, uh, I couldn't do anything that I'm doing without. I mean, I've got a group of guys, we've been together for almost 12 years now and, um, it's been absolutely life-changing. And so guys, anyone and women too, um, women are not exempt from this and COVID has isolated so many people from churches, from friendships, from relationships. And so if you take one thing away from today, don't stay isolated. Yes. Get, get with somebody, find a group, get plugged in. Um, I always say there's only one guy who ever could have done life alone and that was Jesus and he didn't. Right. And so, man, Brad, thank you so much for being here, for sharing, being open, honest, sharing all that, and just thank you for what you do and for building the kingdom. My pleasure. Thank you for having me.